You are listening to The Vincast, Australia's premier wine podcast, where we talk all about the world of wine. Uh, every week I invite a guest uh, who is a winemaker, sommelier, merchant or wine writer, and uh, we talk about their background, their story, their journey that led them to what they do today. Of course, we talk about wines from all over the world, just like today's guest. But if you listen regularly, you'll know that I talk a lot about Australian wine and uh, a really fantastic one-stop shop for authentic uh, artisan Australian wine is Different Drop, uh, where you can buy a whole range of really uh, exciting, dynamic wines produced by some really up-and-coming winemakers. And when you go to the Different Drop website, make sure you are using the special code IntrepidWino, one word, to make sure that you get a 10% discount off any purchase. Uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode, and thanks Different Drop for your support of the podcast. Episode 85 of the Vincast, I chat with Judy Chan, owner and operator of the Grace Vineyard, located in the Shangqi region of China. Hello there, Vincasters, and welcome to another episode of The Vincast. My name is James Gersbrook, otherwise known as The Intrepid Wino. It has been fantastic to have people uh, getting in touch with me to let me know how much they've been enjoying the podcast, particularly those who got in touch about the most recent episode with Walter Speller, wine writer based in Italy and the UK, uh, specializing in Italian wine, but also has a great interest in Italian grape varieties, uh, particularly those growing here in Australia. So uh, very much uh, topics uh, very close to my heart. Now, uh, I would like to send a special shout-out to Lee Tran Lam, who is the host of the Unbearable Lightness of Being Hungry podcast. Uh, uh, she's based in Sydney. The podcast is uh, not dissimilar to the Vincast in that every episode she talks with a different uh, guest about their, their background, their philosophies. But uh, she talks in the world of food. So uh, very commonly she has chefs. Um, sometimes she has, uh, like for example, the most recent episode, a coffee roaster, uh, and um, she's spoken to some really, really amazing chefs. So uh, I do highly recommend that. Uh, and the reason I'm giving her a shout out is because in the last episode, she gave me a shout out at the end of the episode. So thank you very much for that. Now, for this week, uh, I'm continuing my series that I recorded uh, around the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. Uh, my guest uh, was actually um, at one of the, the wine tastings over the weekend of the festival and um, I got to sit in on uh, tasting, showing her wines from China. So Judy Chan is the owner and operator of Grace Vineyard. 
which is uh, a, a, a winery that's uh, gaining very, very uh, quickly a reputation for producing very high quality wines in the Shangqi region of China. So uh, it was really interesting to chat with her about her journey uh, and get some insight into not only Chinese wine, but also the Chinese wine market. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, please stick around to the end so you can find out how to get in contact with myself and Judy to share your impressions. But until then, I'll see you on the other side. Judy. Yes. Thank you very much for uh, making some time whilst you're here in Australia to, to sit down with me on the, on the Vincast. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, welcome. Is this your first time in Australia? No, no, not my first time, but uh, only my second time to Melbourne. Okay. Uh, what brought you to, to Melbourne the last time? Uh, last time was uh, visiting wineries in Melbourne. And uh, of course, wine and dine again. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's always a uh, very happy feelings to be in Melbourne. Absolutely. Uh, so, I usually start each episode of my podcast by asking my guest if they can remember when it was, like if they can remember when, when they first interacted with wine and when they thought, this might be something that I'd like to, to dedicate myself to. I, uh, my first interaction with wine uh, was a little bit of a culture shock. You know, when I grew up in Hong Kong, we always understand that... Uh, Western etiquette is that if you put something in your mouth, you're not supposed to spit. Okay. So I went to, uh, I think, Burgundy with my dad when we went to visit winery. So they pour for you to taste. I drink every single glass. I was yes. 12. Yeah. Wow. And I pass out in no time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you're not supposed to spit. It's impolite. Of course. And that's how I, that was my first memory about wine and I never thought that I would uh, be in the industry. Um, no. I didn't drink uh, at all, not even beer, until yes. I joined uh, you know, Running Grace. Okay. So what, w what was your family's business that, that allowed you to have the opportunity to visit Burgundy when you were 12? My, uh, my dad uh, used to be a trader for raw material, like, like commodity, uh -huh. uh, with the French company. Okay. So he went to uh, France very early on. Yes. And I think that's when he was introduced to wine. But he was never, I wouldn't say he was a wine lover. No. Uh, not, even, not even now. I mean, but then, um, yeah, I think he was introduced to it. And then uh, it attracted him because he, he felt, he told me that he felt that was... Uh, very civilized way of living. Yes. That you have a glass of wine and have dinners or, or meals. And so... So he, so he was very much into the, the concept of having wine with food or having a beverage with food. He loved that feelings, but sure. he himself uh, doesn't practice that. Okay. He, he was interested though. That, he was that, interested. That, he was intrigued by it. And then uh, when his, uh, one of his best friends, who is a French guy, retired, and he invited my dad to... Uh, co-invest in winery in France. Mm -hmm. They went to visit many wineries, and yes. I think none of them are making were making money. Okay. So my father is like, as a traditional businessman, he said that uh, he counter offer his friends. It's how why not we build something in China? Sure. At that time, China uh, didn't have you know high quality wine. Uh, wine at the time. Had anyone talked about? Had, had anyone introduced the idea about yeah, producing quality wine Yeah, of course. Uh, there was like state-owned wineries, um, um, three big one: Dynasty, Great Wall, and Zhang Yi. 
Okay. Uh, back then, but is the Great still- Wall Winery attached to the Great Wall Car Company? No, completely but, different. Uh, completely different. But it's just Great Wall is a is a catchy name. Sure, of course. I mean, Great Wall is one of the most famous things about China. Exactly. So, the uh, but they were producing um, for mass market, you sure. know, relatively lower end wine. Okay. Um, but each of them, I mean, Great Wall and Zhang Yu was producing 150 million bottles a year. Yes. Well, and, and I know that um, I was very interested to see that. Uh, I think China is the sixth or seventh largest producer of wine in now, the world. No, no, but back then wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, back then when my dad started the winery was was a very new concept. Mm-hmm. I remember when when I first start tasting with uh, clients from local province. Yes. They were asking me, "What is this?" You yeah. Know? And then if they know wine, they thought about okay, the tears, you know. Uh, how they judge whether wine is good is whether there is tears on the glass. Uh, we call that glass. we call that the legs. Oh, we call legs, and, and in China we call the tears. <laughs> yeah, I think so, that's probably actually, that's actually a better description. I think a better name for it. I don't. Yeah. Okay. I guess. But uh, <laughs> the, the funny thing is that, and then that's the only judgment whether the wine is good. And I told them it's basically only mean the sugar level. Honey water have a lot of tears on the glass as well. You'd be surprised to hear. You might be surprised to hear that that typically was what was considered to be the, the, the standard of quality. I mean, my parents would swirl the glass uh, of wine and they would look and they would say, oh, this is a good wine because the legs move very slowly. And it was years later I realized... China was like that. Yeah, okay. Oh. So, so I, you know, I thought, you know, a, an important part of that was also the alcohol. Yes. And I thought that's why they like it so much is because there's more alcohol in that wine. Possible, possible. <laughs> I think yes. So, so that's how we started, and then we, my father built the winery with his friends, um, more as a um, retirement project, so mm-hmm. to say. Uh, but unfortunately, Very, not not uncommon at all in in wine, really. Everybody's doing that, right? Well, you know, I mean, in a way. around Melbourne, you know, Mornington Peninsula, Yarra Valley, uh, to a certain extent, Geelong. A lot of the early, um, well, not early, but you know, in the 70s and to a lesser extent in the 1980s, they were professionals, um, doctors, lawyers. They, they planted a vineyard as a hobby, and then they completely dedicated themselves after they retired from their professional career. Yeah, I, I remember my father telling me that, okay, always tell people that we're doing this for a hobby. I said, Dad, why are we telling people that we're doing for a hobby? Clearly, it, it is not your hobby and not mine. I, 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 I didn't drink wine. I said, why are we telling the people it's a hobby? My dad said, you know, we're in business. When your business doesn't make money, you tell people you're doing it for a hobby. Yeah, that way that you won't be judged if it, if it happens to fail. Yes, exactly. That. So, but you know, he, um, his friends, uh, friends uh, uh, introduced all these uh, prof- uh, experts, choosing the location, having the vines and everything. But... They got a Chinese uh, consultant to do the f- business studies. Okay. And this, the study advised them that if you want to break even, the minimum size that you have to go for is 4 million bottles. Wow. It, it was judging from that existing producers in China. Of course. Based on that. When they were doing studies, 150 yeah. million bottles. Right? Sure, sure, of course. And selling at a very low, low price. But my dad was conservative, so he did a million bottles. Right. A million bottles is still a lot. So when my, bo- my father invited me on board, I was like, a million bottles? Seriously? What are you going to do? He said, I'm going to drink. I said, Dad, think about it. It's like 365 days. Mm-hmm. So it means that 
you have to drink over more like a, more or less a, more than a thousand bottles <laughs> I'll give away a thousand bottles every day and I don't think you have that many friends unless your father is Gerard Depardieu I don't think you could drink that much wine in one day no and to be honest to give away for free when your wine is no name and yes. it's from China is hard yeah of course people take your bottle with your friend here people love it oh clean skin sure free bottles of wine no problem but there it's like no 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 it needs to have a, a mark on it. It has to yes, have a brand. Yes, and it's heavy. Yeah, of course. So, uh, which what, whereabouts um, did you actually grow up? Uh, I was born and raised in Hong Kong. Okay. And then I went to the state for college. Oh, really? What did you study? Women's studies, psychology, and organizational studies. Women's studies. Well, I must say, ha uh, happy International Women's yes, Day. Yes, I know. What is that? <laughs> what is that? Is a new? Is it a new holiday? I don't know. Maybe I just uh, so, heard it today. So, well, I don't know if it is international, really, but um, I don't know. Maybe someone suddenly went, "Oh, women! Oh, we should have a day for them." Yeah, it seems strange. Interesting. But anyway, uh, so how how did you enjoy um, living in the United States? What was the, what was your life like there? It was very different. Um, I went to Michigan. It was in in Midwest in the state, mm -hmm. and the first thing I noticed is super cold. Yeah, it, it's thirty below zero. But it gets pretty hot in summer as well, doesn't it? It's hot, but it's dry, so yeah, it's okay. fine. Hong okay. Kong is like humid, hot, it's sure. different. So the first thing I notice is the the the, the cold weather uh, is so painful, and the wind chill blows it your face. Stings your face, yeah. You can't even cry because they 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 would turn to ice immediately. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is that I um, I didn't know that life could be so different. When you move to another country, uh, it challenged a lot of your values. A yeah. lot of things that you've, I thought was common sense, wasn't common sense. Sure. Um, so it changed my life. It's quite interesting. You'd done a bit of traveling before that, but I'm assuming possibly with your family or maybe with friends. I, we we travel a lot. I mean, I mean, I've been to many countries and um, yeah, move around a lot. Uh, not not move around, but travel. But when you live in a country, it's different than you when you just visit. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when you were living in the U.S., um, actually before that, was was food important in your family when you were growing up? Food wasn't that important. I think apart from it, just you know for energy just, to live, it's to to survive, right? Yeah, <laughs> to live. But that's actually the interesting things. My parents are not into wine. My parents are not into food. Okay, and um, and don't ask me why we are in. In this industry, but now I'm so into food and wine. For yeah. me, it's so important. Every trip that I planned, I would pre-book the restaurants. Wow. Yes. I, all my trips is around food and wine. <laughs> uh, so, what about when you were living in the United States? Did you start to, you know, try other foods, or you know, was that was that an interesting experience? No, Michigan is not well known for it. America is not very known for food to start with. It's big portion. Apart from a few places like yeah, New San York. Francisco, New York. Yeah, but Michigan definitely not. It's just big portion. Yeah, apple beef was like a treat. <laughs> okay. And um, no, but I, I think the only uh, adventurous cuisine that I had was me and uh, American Jewish friends. Mm -hmm. We try to make Indian food, even though we never had Indian food. Yeah. And there was no uh, shop to sell all the um, ingredients. ingredients. Yeah. So we keep substituting with whatever we can find, and it turned <laughs> out, um, I don't think it's Indian food, but we were just like super happy with the Indian food that we cooked. Oh, great! 
Uh, so when you came back to to Hong, Chi- Kong. To Hong Kong, was it part of China at that point? Was it fa- yeah, back? Yeah, back yeah, yeah. Hanover already. Okay. I, I came back in 2000. Um, what What were you doing when you returned? I was uh, in between uh, just graduate from college and going to grad school. Yeah. And uh, grad school only start nine months later. Okay. So I I think I need a job. Uh, you know, you cannot hang around for nine months not doing anything. Sure. And at that time, for me, the ideal professional was working in organization like the United Nations. Okay. So I, I applied for a similar organization in Hong Kong. Uh, it's called the Equal Opportunity Commissions. Yes. Um, but they offer me uh, around uh, 1,200 Aussie salary. Yeah. So I cannot have... What, for a year? For a month. For a month. Which that is, it's hard to have a human... In Hong Kong. Yeah, it's hard to fight for human right when you cannot have your own right. Yeah, you can't even survive. So uh, then uh, by chance, a f- friend of mine said that Goldman Sachs was hiring. So I went for interview with Goldman mm-hmm. um, for HR. For some reason, I got in. And yeah. then I worked in Goldman for two years before joining. Okay. Yeah. Um, what, did you have the opportunity working in uh, you know, a very big... Uh, or not big but well-known kind of uh, financial institution like that to to dine at nice places. Uh, I'm just I'm just trying to I'm I'm, I'm interested yeah, to know yeah. when you kind of got interested in in cuisine I really, more. I really honestly start getting into wine and dine after working. Uh, you're running Grace. Sure. Okay. Before that, no. I mean, before that, it was like I was in my twenties. It's all going to Lan Kui Fong, drinking beers <laughs> after night. Right? Yeah, of course. Uh, and then just partying whenever you can, and and all of a sudden, you know, you're flying business class, staying five hotels, yeah. all these things. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But wine dine wasn't my thing back then. So how old were you when when um, Grace uh, was became? I took a, over when I was twenty four. Twenty four. I was twenty two. I'm sorry. Wow, it's very I, young. I really didn't know what I was doing. Okay. So how long had had, had um, it been established before that? My father founded the winery in '97. Okay. And we started to produce the first bottle of wine at the end of 2002. I took over before launching. Mm-hmm. So literally, my father was very kind. He always tell people that we are co-founders. Mm. Um, so basically, I saw it from almost the infant stage because uh, before that was mainly planting a vineyard. It mm-hmm. was not. Uh, uh, wine yet mm-hmm. um, yeah can you tell me about um, how they decided where they would um, actually plant a vineyard and, and my my dad my, my dad uh, f- very best friend one of the best friends is a French guy and he suggested my father to to do the winery together sure he got uh, the uh, a professor from Bodo one of the most famous professor and travel around China to look for locations at that time, a lot of uh, vineyard was planted in Sandong area, so basically on the coast. Okay. They went there, but they didn't think it's good. They think that was too humid. Where, so whereabouts? Sandong in is Qingdao. It's up, relatively up north because further north. Yeah, anything. Coast. Okay. Anything in southern part is too humid. Sure. So they went relatively up north. This kind of above Shanghai. But, but, but be, even there was. Beijing area. But even there was a little bit too hot too humid too humid still because we always have summer rain yep so they went further west and then Sanxi was the location that they think is suitable and that's how we started can you tell me a little bit about what Shangxi is like climate wise uh, Sanxi is relatively dry 
Yes. Uh, we have around 400 millimeters rainfall annually, and day and nighttime temperatures hugely, hugely different. Summer would be 35 in midday, 19 at night, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, sandy soil. But one of the huge different compared to any, maybe beside Russia, anywhere else in the world is that we have to bury the vines uh, in winter with soil. So why do you have to do that? Because it can go down to 30 below zero a couple of nights and the wind chill will dry the vines and kill it. Okay. So how far away from the coast are we talking? We are 600 kilometers southwest of Beijing. 600 kilometers? Yeah, southwest of Beijing. To the closest coast? Beijing is not necessarily coast, but uh, I think it would be 1,800 from the coast. So that's very, very continental. Yes, yes. Right in the right below in the Mongolia. Yeah. Okay. What's the elevation there? Eight hundred above sea level. Okay. So it's not really really high, like for example in Argentina in Mendoza and yeah, Salta. Yeah, over a thousand, right? But yeah, yes, yes. but um, higher in in many places. Um, but but you know that's a very continental, very dry climate as well. This yeah. a bit. I think I don't think it's. I think. Maybe even in Shanxi, that's that's it even can be, further. Yeah, further west would be maybe higher yeah. up. This afternoon, I was having a lunch with a friend, and she's Indian, and she was saying that it's possible. She study it's possible to plant grape in the Himalayas. Wow! I said, how how high? Like three thousand meters above sea level. I said, what about the temperature and sunlight? She said, sunlight no problem. Sure. Rain, rainfall no problem. There's spring. Uh, water is no problem with spring. And then we're just not sure about 3,000 about sea level, is it possible? I'm trying to remember what, what the highest And those is. are 1,000 something only, yeah. not beyond 2,000. But I'm, I'm, I think that they, like, like there's vineyards in Salta at more than 2,000 kilometers. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I, I think so. Um, 2,000 meters, I should say, not 2,000 kilometers. Yes. That, that would be in space. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so how did he decide, or how, how did the, or the consultants, I guess, how did they discuss what vineyards to plant, what, what grapes? Actually, uh, when you choose grape, is uh, temperature. Temperature, would, temperature and sunlight would kind of give you a guidance, but because it's a, a Bordeaux, uh, Bordeaux professor, Obviously, they go for the French varietals, mm-hmm. the Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot, Cafron, Chardonnay, and that's what we started with. Sure. Um, but in the last seven years, we imported other uh, uh, cuttings, uh, other varieties yep. to try out in the soil. So we have Alianico, sorry, we have Maslan, we have, um, uh, what is that called? Uh, we have Nibiolo. Wonderful. Um, is, it, is it difficult to import new, new, new cuttings? China, since after we plant, they no longer allow imports. At so all. we can only import as a research project. So basically, very very small quantity. Sure. Then you have to quarantine for a year or two. Okay. Then then you put in nursery to make it to uh, propagate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So initially, it was French varieties. Um, now we move to anything else that we can try out. Sure. Yeah. So, what were the what were the decisions that were made to begin with, as far as how the wines would be made? The, because the, the, my father friends hired this French guy, who was a was a winemaker then. So basically, the whole style was defined by him because we didn't know anything about sure, wine. Sure, of course. Um, but to be honest, I quite like it. I like the old world wine, and I guess that's why I like the Victorian wine. Sure. I don't like you know very in your face 
punchy type of wine. I like elegance. Okay. I like balance. I like acidity. Okay. And it it, it happened that uh, Grazinger wine is more or less like that as well. We are not a big wine. Uh, we have sweetness from the fruit. We have acidity at the finish. Sure. And that's what I like. And then that's kind of our style. Okay. If you've listened to recent episodes of the Vincast, you've probably heard me mention Wine Companion. Well, they've had a very interesting rebranding of late, and they have uh, renamed to Halliday, Halliday um, Wine Companion. And uh, that, of course, is because James Halliday was the founder of Wine Companion, uh, the annual guide uh, to Australian wines, which uh, evolved into a wine magazine and an amazing online wine resource. So um, as a special treat for listeners of this podcast, the team at Halliday have actually offered a very, very special discount for any subscription package. All you need to do is go to the Wine Companion website, uh, put in the special code INTREPID30 at purchase, and you'll get a 30% discount on any subscription package, which is an amazing discount uh, and a great way to read about all the wines around the world, but particularly wines in Australia. So thank you very much, uh, Mr. Halliday and the Wine Companion team for your support of this podcast. So can you tell me a little bit about the wine market in China itself? Is most of the wine sold in China? For us, yes. And for most of producers in China, also yes. Yes. Um, I'll give you an example. I mean, we are producing around 1.2 million bottles a year. Okay. We, we sell we sold everything. And I can sell everything in the province alone, not wow. even the nations. Okay. The province is 35 million populations. Sure. So... It put in context, right? So but you only have to sell one bottle for every three people. Yeah, but yeah, but then that, that, actually, but then it's a mistake that you, you one would made. I, I I met a lot of producers overseas, and when they see China, it's like, oh my god, this huge market. The question that you had then have to ask yourself: Let's say you are Australian wine maker mm-hmm. or wine producer. Yes, your wine is great, but still, there's many Australian wine. Why you? Yeah. It is. It, there is a lot of consumers, and doesn't mean that they have to buy a wine. Um, and and the interesting thing about uh, the wine market in China is is dynamic. Uh, many reasons that make it very different than other market is one. We were introduced to wine pretty late in time. Mm-hmm. People used to drink Coca Cola, and all of a sudden they jump to Lafitte. It's not like in Europe people start drinking wine when they're young age. Yeah. And they trade up. No, in China it's like Coca Cola and Lafitte. So there is a leap. Secondly, with technology, people have information in their fingertips. They can check different things very quickly. Okay. And third, uh, when ch- in the last 10 years, the wine industry has boomed like crazy in China. Partially was, uh, was because other markets in the world was not doing that well, and everybody eyes on China. Of course. And, and then when, when every country is coming to China, it helped to educate the market. Yeah. I mean, the, when they when they started to do Vin Expo in Hong Kong, yeah, yeah, it show, it really did show that what the potential for not just China but you know for for Asia in general. Yeah, yeah, but China and in the last ten years, it's like there is all these producers from France, there's all these producers from Chile, Australia, Spain, Italy have been Italy in China, so everybody's there, and then that's why I give the consumers a lot of different choices, and all of a sudden, from knowing nothing about wine to suddenly have many choices make a huge difference. How have the, the tastes in wine changed, the styles that have been popular? Have, how have they changed? 
I think they're much more. I mean, in comparison to Hong Kong, Hong Kong is very French-driven. The taste palette is very French. China is very open, because look at the Chinese cuisine. We are pretty diverse. Sure. And I, I, I'm, I don't think that people particularly have a taste. Uh, of course, then, if if you have a stronger fruit and you have a barrel taste, people tend to pick it up as is good quality, like the legs and the tears. Yeah. But. I don't think necessarily the case. If they can taste it, if it's you know strong and intense, that's a good thing. If it's more elegant, it's like oh, I'm not sure. It takes time. It takes time to appreciate, and it's but it's like if you taste with Chinese drinkers, sweet wine, everybody like it. Yeah. Nobody buy it. No. There's no occasion to drink it. Sure. And uh, and and then they tell me that oh Chinese like soften thing. I I told I told a lot of my friends it's not the case, because if you look at Chinese tea, it's very tannic. Yes. It's a matter of uh, habit. Uh, we like tannic tea, so we can stand tannic wine. It's just that we need to get used to the tannic from wine. Okay. I guess I guess it's also the combination of of the fruit as well. It's a it's a kind of a very different absolutely, experience. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, fruity wine in general, not only China, everywhere is much more well received, right? Mm. Easier to drink. But still, in China, they drink a lot more red wine than white wine, for example. Yeah, ninety percent red, ten percent white. Wow. Okay. So, um, of course, there's been uh, you know increased opportunities to import wine into China. What about um, companies? Not you know not not just Chinese companies, but overseas companies investing in producing wine in China? There are a few. I mean, uh, for example, AvriMH invested in Yunnan to do red wine. Yes. Shandong is doing sparkling wine in Ningxia. Okay. Uh, the Strosky family has a winery as well. There's a Scottish guy doing red wine in um, the coastal area. Yes. There are a number of players uh, producing wine in China. And with the idea of you know selling into the Chinese market? Yes, I think so. Okay, that's very interesting. So, what was it like when you started with Grace yourself and you started to take the wine into the market? How how was it? Did you find it uh, very difficult? I I knew nothing about anything. I didn't know wine. I couldn't drink. I don't know the varieties. I don't know how to sell. So how did I, you, how did you, how did you learn? It's almost feel like swimming in the ocean that you just try to stay alive. Sure. And and but, you know. I often say that, and which I believe is timing. I was in the industry at the right time, so the upward movement was so strong. Even sure. though I keep making mistake, but the pulling up was so strong. All yes. the mistake was. Doesn't matter. That's and okay. It's a learning experience. Yeah, yeah, but but because, everything was. Going up, and you go, you ride along with the wave. Sure. And uh, if I, if I was, if I'm doing it today, when the things are more normal, and I, I was, I was still, if I was still like back then that I didn't know anything, must not, I, I, creation would not survive. But I entered the market at the right time, and then also I, I think that we were. At that time, there was only a handful of wineries, so easy for people to remember. Mm. For consumer product, a brand is important, and people to remember you is 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 better than they don't, right? Mm. And back then, there's also there's no privately owned winery run by a young girl, mm. and uh, and then they keep thinking because 
back then in China was not that international as well. The fact that I can speak English is already quite exotic. Like this young girl doing wine can speak English. They keep saying that oh, you can speak the bird language.、Um, but now in China, a lot of kids can speak English, French, German, and multiple languages. So, do you think people take took you more seriously because of that? Because you'd studied, you did America, and you traveled a lot. You, they said, oh, she's. Very worldly, you know. She understands, you at, know, at Western culture time, a little at bit. At that time, actually, the image match wine was very foreign in China. Sure. The fact that you study in in the state and and then you have a more Western culture, they feel that okay, you know what you're doing. Sure. Even though that I actually didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that they were so forgiving. The perception for the customers. Yes. Feel that okay. That's. Why they can do more elegant stuff because you know it's in her blood that she knows, which was not true. But yeah, it, it worked then. So who were some of the the first customers and 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 I guess did you have sort of、um, people in the media talking about the wines or like、um, a few of our customers, which was actually make a huge difference. One is um, um, Peninsula Hotel in Hong Kong. Okay. And they were the first brave one to take on a Chinese one on their list. Then a、uh, Cafe Pacific, and Cafe Pacific lists us on first and business class. That was a very bold move as well. Sure. Because of that too, it funneled back to the province, because the province was very poor for many years. Okay. And and then and then all of a sudden they they become started to become rich because of. Coal mining and things, yeah. But they need something to show people that they have culture, and we are a perfect name card. Sure. So the people with in the province love our brand because it's it's like oh, show people that we are we are sophisticated. Look at us, we have a winery and things like that, and they love us. Is there still very much a perception,、uh, possibly outside of the province, that? Oh, this is just a farming thing. It's a very simple, it's very rural. Maybe it's a very poor kind of, you know. Why would yes, you do that? Wouldn't, we, you, wouldn't you be a professional?、Uh, yes or no? I think in China, the、um, each province has its、uh, each province has its own image. Yeah.、Uh, Shanxi province was coal mine owners. Okay. Poor. Yeah. Dirty, and so working with their hands. In, yeah. yeah. But.、Uh, But、uh, I think the international recognition influences how people look at us. Sure. Yeah. So,、um, how did?、Um, firstly,、um, where did the, where did the name Grace come from? Is there much significance to this? this it's funny.、Name? Funny enough, people keep asking me. It's obviously not your mother's name, and it's not your name, even though people keep calling you Grace. Okay. And uh, and and uh, it's actually a translation of Chinese name. The Chinese name is Pleasant Garden. Okay. And Grace is kind of a similar. Words for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I told my, I also think that if you come up with a Chinese、uh, English name, it should make sense. Yes. I, I, I don't like picking an English name. It's just、uh, pronunciations that sound like a Chinese word and which have no meaning. That's very confusing then. Sure. So,、um, how did the the business grow? And we grow from、uh, when we make a million bottles for first year, we sold twenty thousand bottles, and ten thousand was given away for free.、Mm-hmm. It was desperate. Think about it. And、sure. then we did a lot of changes. Second year is a hundred thousand bottles. The third is three hundred thousand bottles. Five hundred thousand bottles. And to we launched properly in two thousand three. By two thousand eight, we are on allocation basis. Wow, that's、yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. Again, it's an upward trend. And how do you?、Um, 
find it, it what 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 ways do you try to always be improving um, as far as you know bringing in people to come and work for grace or sending them out, sending employees out into the world to learn more about why everything i think that is uh, first of all it's a mentality is that if you want to change whether you feel like you can be better mm -hmm. so of course there's different things i do i, I send my team out side to be doing harvest in different place a lot in uh, victoria actually okay and uh there are a lot of people visiting us because they are interested in china and we are probably one of the most approachable winery yeah and then um and then it's also like every vintage when we do the launch before we do the launch we do blind tasting in the winery uh to i bring wine from hong kong mm -hmm. in a similar price range to see whether we are competitive. Okay. Because if we are not, then we have to your wine. At the same time, we also buy Grand Cru to see how far we are from them. Sure. To give to give them something to, something you know. that we can chase. Yeah, of course. So all these things are... Look forward to. But everything is about how you look at it. Sure. You know, for years that we are on allocation basis, you... To be honest, I got lazy as well. And then you... you yeah, you feel that you're top of the world in the way, right? Uh, as, and that's also the reason why I keep traveling. Mm. I want to see there are things that people do so much better than us. Yes. That then, and then I, I can have a much more uh, international view on things. Okay. And also for my team. That's why I keep sending them everywhere. And not only in the wine industry. We actually do a lot of uh, visit in other industry businesses. Mm -hmm. Because I think that if we are so narrow-minded, we're always in this industry, especially wine. We like to talk about ourselves. We don't like to talk to people. Yeah. That's not good. I think it's important to get out, to see other things. Uh, do, you, do you export any of the wine at the moment? We do a little bit in Japan, Singapore, a little bit in UK, but not much. I think make in China is still very difficult. Sure, of course. Yeah. So you were here um, partly uh, for the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. Yeah. You, yourself and Roy Moorfield yes. hosted a you know a very dinner intimate yes. uh, tasting yes. over the weekends, yes. and and it was also a, a dinner. How have you found the perception of of the wines from China? What 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 do you think it was that brought people to 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 come and and find out more about the Chinese wines? To be honest, I was surprised that they actually people come. <laughs> Why? It's so exotic now. Yeah, European they, wines. Oh, we know about that. Let's try some wines yeah, from yeah, China. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that you know, if there are so many wines in the world now. Yes. Even for me to go to a wine tasting, it has to draw me. Sure. A strong draw. Sure. Um, yeah. So I was very, I was very surprised with the uh, boardroom tasting. People are actually quite sophisticated. Yeah. And uh, and and most importantly, I think people come with a very open mind. Yeah, of course. Very important. That 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 was not honestly not common I was in China I was in Hong Kong even when I did it in UK people was not as open-minded as I felt that Sunday afternoon do you think people came with sort of preconceived notions or they sort of wanted to they wanted to prove the, this idea that they had that you couldn't make good a wine in of, China a lot of time people come with relatively open mind they want to try but there, if there is something they pick up that they don't like mm -hmm. then they will say oh see Ah, uh, yeah. The Chinese wine. I proved it, of course. Yeah, oh, oh it's I knew, short, I knew it, that. It's short on palate, see? This and that. I understand that. I, I think that I, w I would do the same thing. I think, to be honest, if you think about all the wine that you drink, 
name name something that you really like it the wine taste without knowing the label. Mm, of course. To be honest, a lot of time the label make a huge difference. Yeah, or or where it comes from, or what the grape is. But I know that um, it, it's it, it is of course it's almost impossible to to taste a wine and not think about it in relative in relation to something else. You know, yeah. even if you're just doing a tasting, you are tasting a wine compared to the wine you just tasted. How how you know if it has more or less alcohol, if it has more or less tannin, if it has more or less acid. Uh, I, I think it, you know it's very very difficult to come in completely open-minded and to look at a wine purely for what it is, not oh this this um, this Chardonnay it's, it's is very, very different to Burgundy or it, it's not as good as Chardonnay from Australia or New Zealand. Exactly. It's also it's also like when people um, if you are introduced at some some expert that you admire tell you about that wine and she she or he thinks it's good yes you, you tend to follow that oh okay oh, yeah. of course of course so um, what what do you have uh, for the future for Grace we're doing sparkling wine that's we just launched last year so that was exciting that, that's still it's very exciting um, we are venturing into whiskey wow uh, become becoming more and more alcoholic, I guess. <laughs> and that's I'm also a, seeing the market potential. Whiskey is, I'm sure, is very huge strong in China. Potential and it, if we are, and, and yeah, I, I love whiskey for years. Mm-hmm. So it will be something that I would love to do. And hopefully, I actually wanted to venture into China spirit. Okay. Because China spirit, every province has its own spirit. Yes. But unfortunately, that nobody really try to make a quality spirit. They all about branding, distributions, story. I think there is a nice spirit from China with history would be very interesting. What What would you make the spirit from? Depending on where your locations, okay. it can either be white rice or grain, and uh, every province have a very different spirit. Interesting. Um, yeah, but now, yeah, they are always talking about volume, and nobody focusing quality. I think it's a pity. Mm, that is a shame. And it's a, also a considered as um, old people drink. So if I can repackage it in a way, make a quality product, it's almost feel like a mission. Yeah, of course. I, I guess yeah, with the spirits, the branding is even stronger, I think, than wine. So yes. to kind of try and get people to to, to taste a whiskey that's not from Scotland or. From Ireland or to try it. Whiskey know, is interesting because I like wine, I like whiskey, I like, but the Chinese spirit, I have much more sentimental feelings to it. Of course. Yeah. Judy, I just want to say thank you so much, thank you so much for sparing some time whilst you're here. I hope you have enjoyed your time or your return to uh, to, to, to Australia and Melbourne. It's, uh, we've had some very lovely weather. I hope you guys weather. come to visit us at some point. And yeah, then I'm, you, I'm fascinated. You you can add us in Grace Vineyard on Facebook. Then if you guys come, we have yes. 11 guest rooms. Come and stay with us. Wonderful. Do you have any other social media for, for Grace? Uh, we have Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. And of course, the WeChat and Weibo in China. Yeah, I don't think anyone uses Weibo outside of China. Yes. Maybe we should. Yes. But thank you again. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of The Vincast. I have been James Gersbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. And of course, thank you very much to Judy for her time on the show. I hope you enjoyed our chat. 
Uh, if you'd like to follow me, I'm on social media. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm at IntrepidWino. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter at TheVingCast. Head to facebook.com forward slash IntrepidWino and like my Facebook page where I share links and photos and lots of interesting stuff. Uh, and why not come and visit me on YouTube? I'm at the Intrepid Wino channel, and you can see some of my Let's Taste videos where I uh, taste Australian wines. Uh, I would love for you to come and subscribe to the Vincast. Uh, you can do that uh, on a number of different platforms, but probably the best one is on iTunes. If you go to the Vincast iTunes page, hit that subscribe button so you get the newest episode as soon as it becomes available. And it's a really great way to provide some feedback by leaving a five-star rating and a review about uh, an episode or a guest that you might have enjoyed or perhaps even some feedback, someone you'd like to hear on the show. All that information, of course, is available at intrepidwino.com, uh, including different ways you can get in contact with me. Uh, there's lots of different writings that I've done in the past as well, so uh, if you'd like to learn more about me, uh, that's a great place to visit. I look forward to having you on the next episode of The Vincast, but until then, bye. Bye.